listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and today on the podcast, Diane DeSilis will be joining us, local author and poet. Here we are. It is National Poetry Month, April, and Diane DeSilis is releasing a new book through Wayne State University Press called When the Heart Needs a Stunt Double. We have a great conversation here. Now, Diane DeSilis sort of um, a premiered or debuted as a, as a writer around the uh, national literary scene about six years ago with a book called Strings Attached, which went on to be a Michigan notable book for 2015 and then went on to win the 2015 Next Generation Indie Book Award for Poetry. It was a finalist for the Forward Indie Fab Book Award for Poetry as well. This was her first book. She'd been writing for a lot of her life. Of course, she'd always been writing but primarily, and we talk about this on the podcast, she had been in the art world, the visual art world. She'd, she'd owned and operated an art gallery. And after that time in her life was over, she went into publishing her first book, which we talk about. But primarily, we're talking about the latest, which is out this month, called When the Heart Needs a Stunt Double. And who wouldn't want a metaphorical stunt double to take the perilous fall that comes with the pain of loss or profound disappointment we talk a lot about how these poems are meditations on how the heart withstands everything how we endure and how love can be painful and uplifting at the same time and but ultimately fulfilling and what these poems in when the heart needs a stunt double really touch on is the resourcefulness of how we really have to become our own stunt double on, uh, on so many so many occasions through so many experiences in our life and Diane has an amazing way with words as you're going to hear well joining me on the podcast right now is Diane DeSillis author and poet welcome to the podcast thank you I'm glad to be here very glad to have you here your book is coming out this month in April it's called when the Heart Needs a Stunt Double, a collection of poems. And it, Diane, it, it sort of devastated me in the best way possible. I don't know how else to tell you that. <laughs> well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it is. It truly is. It truly is. Thank these, you. These are expressions of love, but they're they're very visceral in the same way. And, and I think that there is there's a piece in this book, you titled it The, the Art of Kintsugi, where... Yeah. It kind of sums it up, I think. It that is, uh, I might get this wrong. That's sort of the Japanese art of, of fixing vases, but making the cracks with gold. Yes, yeah. They use epoxy and they sprinkle it with gold dust, so that in their view and in mine too, it makes the object even more beautiful. Uh, they call it the art of scars or the scars of beauty. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, when I titled the book, I didn't know I was going to have to have open heart surgery. So that was all done. And I added these things later because they were very relevant, it turned out to be. I had one of the muscles of my heart got too thick and the wall of my heart got too thick. So it had been going on for years, but I didn't. I wasn't aware of it until I was super tired and um, got out of breath walking just a short distance. So I ended up going to Cleveland Clinic mm -hmm. and having the open heart surgery. So that poem addresses that in mm -hmm. particular. Mm -hmm. And there are references throughout, I think, to 
scars to a, to a degree or, or just really how the body and the soul and our emotions are weathered throughout the years, throughout the people we know, throughout the people we lose. So there are all these beautiful meditations on love and how it can be painful and rejuvenating at the same time. Yes. But I did not realize that you had heart surgery, though. My goodness. Well, I had practically the whole book written, and then I had this heart surgery, so it worked out well. And I thought to myself, I better be careful what I name my next book, <laughs> because that ended up to be kind of interesting. Right. Five or six years ago, Strings Attached was another book released, uh, a Michigan notable book, an award-winning book. Uh, I do want to talk about that too, but can you tell us a bit about your background? You used to own an art gallery before you sort of had this second career as a writer. Yeah, I own the print gallery in Southfield, and then I owned that for about 30 years, and then we moved to Birmingham, and I owned Lido Gallery. Mm -hmm. And in both galleries, starting in the 80s, I started inviting poets and writers to read. So mm -hmm. we had a reading series and um, that continued at Lido. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I started it when I was in my 20s. I'd never sold anything or, but I was just so passionate about art and and I just did what I could to, to get there. Mm -hmm. And it turned out pretty well. I think that's important to recognize when folks think of art galleries, they might just imagine 2D art on the wall, maybe just paintings. They might not imagine other mediums, and they might not imagine that there are all these occasions where you can have receptions or uh, uh, exhibition closings where you can have poetry, po live poetry readings, maybe even some music. Uh, it seems to me that you are on that wavelength that where it's all art is art, whatever it is, poetry or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, we we had vintage posters from the turn of the century. We also had the largest collection of reproductions in the country, um, and we did shows for artists. Eventually, I had a museum gift shop, and then I love sweets, <laughs> and so we had a sweet shop in there too. I um, I created these candy bars that were five by seven chocolate, and they were framed in gold, and they were embedded with works of art. So, what? That's, yeah, that's amazing. So they sold those at the White House. It was um, we sold them all over the country to galleries and, and different places. And I also had a tea bar, and um, the teas were all designed to reflect a work of art. So let's say we had a Van Gogh tea. It had little blue and yellow flowers in it, and it was just thought out to, to do that. So that became one of Oprah Winfrey's favorites one year. So yeah, we had all kinds of things going on. I, I just tried to keep thinking out of the box. So yeah or outside of the frame. Outside uh, the frame. <laughs> that's so great. I think it's important to note that that every, a lot of galleries out there are often trying to go that extra mile. And, you know, yeah. I don't mind advocating on this podcast that folks should always support their local their local galleries, wherever they are. Uh, tell me about your, your writing life then. So you, you, you released a book in 2015. When did, you know, I assume it was much earlier, but when did writing become a very integral part of your life? You know, when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced and I was super close to my father. And it turned out that he left the country and I didn't see him again until I was 15. Mm -hmm. But when he left, he, his bookshelf was still there. So was his desk. And on the shelf, 
I found a Khalil Gibran the prophet. And I read it and it was sort of a way, it almost felt like he was speaking to me, my father, through Gibran's words. I felt some closeness with that. So that, then I started writing just to work out my own feelings, let's say. Mm -hmm. But that's what sparked me to begin. And then in the 80s, I, I, you know, there were um, workshops at Cranbrook. So I attended those and met some people who are still my friends over all this time. So started attending workshops and um, Mary Jo Frith Gillette had a great workshop and many of us uh, attended it. And so that I really got into it after that. Yeah, I do see that a lot in your work. This there's there's an element of memoir to it. And there is an element to just processing all the emotions of whatever experience you're describing in, in your life. Is that is that how you is that how you see it for yourself? I, when I think of like poets like Walt Whitman or John Muir, they're reacting to nature or Allen Ginsberg might be incendiary and he wants people to hear this. But talk about your poetry, which is really uh, just opening up all this vulnerability. Do you consciously have anything in there where you, when you're writing something on the page where you're thinking, oh, I might do a reading of this one day and uh, 30 or 50 people are going to hear it or, uh, you know, 3000 people will read it in the book. Uh, does that ever come into to your head as a poet, you know, your audience, I guess? No, it really doesn't. I don't think about my audience. There are things that might spark something like just a few days ago, um, I read that a robot killed a guy at the VW plant in Germany. He, he crushed him. <laughs> and I thought, and it, it reminded me of the insurrection. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to write about the robot, um, but then the insurrection came in. It, it was just organic. And I think when I sit down to write, I, um, I'm not really thinking of anybody else. I'm trying to, to get into the layers of what could be there. Mm -hmm. There's a term in art and literature too, I guess, pentimento, where there's a painting painted over an old painting. And so when that's removed, you see what was underneath it. The layers are carefully taken apart. And mm -hmm. so I think that's what I try to do. Yeah. I was just mm -hmm. thinking out loud. I guess when I do consider it, maybe maybe it is the minority of most artists, minority of most poets who think of or worry about the audience. You really can't when you're in the heat of that creative moment. You really can't. It's just gotta be you and the page. Right. I think revision might bring that in a little bit when you're revising, especially some of my poems, humorous, let's say, but they're about a, you know, a serious subject. So I kind of think of that during then, but mostly not. Yeah. So tell me about When Strings Attached. Was that sort of your first official debut book? Yes. And so yes, it was. right out the gate, Michigan Notable, what was sort of that year between, you know, take me between 2014 and 2016 when you, you sort of debut as a, as a published writer. What was that like for you? Um, that was scary. I, I wanted to have a book. And then when I found out, oh, I have a book and now everyone's going to read it. I got what they call imposter syndrome. I was like terrified. Mm -hmm. And then as time went by and I, I got these awards, I went to New York and, and I won the Next Generation Book Award. I thought, well, okay. You know, it, it, it made me feel a lot better about it. But I did find it scary mm -hmm. to have the book come out. Tell me about this book and I guess whether or not your approach to this book is distinct from 
your approach to the previous book in any ways. When you were collecting all these poems, did you try to arrange them in a way that had at least a subtly uh, connective theme? Yeah, ultimately. Well, I had a lot of poems, and I do think that we have a voice. I do think that there's an abiding theme in our voice. There are references we make that are a thread, I think, instinctively. Mm-hmm. Even words, like the word leave, for instance. If you did some, there's searches where you can see what word you use the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't do that with this book, but mm-hmm. but I do see that happening. So, yeah. When they're all together, then there's the process of ordering the book, which it takes a while to do it. Mm-hmm. I try to find the link between one poem to the next, even if they're not really related. But mm-hmm. I hope they're related in some way to to make it an interesting journey, let's say. Truly, I think there something to be said that there's a journey in and through and around the human body at least that I interpreted, uh, even if it's subtle. uh, One of my favorite poems, I'm forgetting the title off the top of my head, but I know it has Duende in the title. And uh, it, side note, I just love how how you're able to end all your poems on on such a powerful point there's not any poem in here that doesn't end on a great a great stanza but that poem especially um ends with this ends with this idea of the 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 poet isn't actually getting nourishment the poet is almost experiencing hunger all the time and you feel these sort of things in your stomach or there's a poem about something passing through the body there's a poem about surgery there's a poem about you know it's there it's all there so i know it's pre your heart surgery but the body is all throughout this this book yeah i think the body and mind are so connected that that that's sort of impossible for me to ignore. I know there's a poem in there called, um, my mother cuts me open and finds an apple inside. It's traveling through my body. And I think the point of that poem is that no one really knows you, Mm -hmm. even even your own mother. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, they, they are connected to me. And these expressions of love, we have a poem on here, which is oh, yeah. this, uh, it's an Arabic phrase that, um, I'll let you translate it. Yeah, yakburni. Yeah. And it's a phrase that a lot of people say to one another, even a mother can say it to her child. Um, but it means, essentially it means that the person who's saying it hopes to be buried so that they don't have to endure the pain of losing the other person. So that that's what that is about. I always found that a very... I love things that are idiomatic, but they really can't be translated in English real simply. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that, that yeah. Well, I think that you do a great thing in that poem is you sort of find your own translation. It ends beautifully, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to spoil the book by quoting it to readers, but you describe love as a weight that lifts you up and buries you at the same time. And it, it, that kind of stuff leaves me breathless, uh, Diane. These, these meditations on love again is what I came back to that really that really stuck out to me about this book. Um, I guess in that way, and maybe this is another question about whether or not your creative experience of this book distinguishes itself from any other previous writing, is that when you remember the creation of some of these poems, did you find them to be sort of emotionally draining almost, or were they fulfilling? You know, when you create a poem on a page, how do you usually? I, we're talking about the body. We're talking about how we feel. How do you usually feel when you're done? Because some of these poems are very emotionally intense. Yeah, I'm definitely psychologically invested when I'm writing. And some things are 
kind of hard to write. And so that's why I don't think about the reader, because I think if you think about the reader, you're not going to you're not going to reveal these things. But when I go back, to this might speak to someone else mm-hmm. um, because everybody's been through the same things when it comes to love, abandonment, loss. So it, yeah. it kind of um, that's how I think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is an emotional investment to do that. Yeah. At times, at times. Over the last uh, few years, especially, I've sort of been, uh, I feel like I'm becoming more and more immersed in the writer community that we have around here in Southeast Detroit. And it seems like you're very deeply embedded in that and very connected to a lot of great people. Do you have any just comments in general of of reverence or anything or what you think stands out about this this community? Because there are a lot of great writers around here and, and you all seem very supportive of each other. Yeah, I think we have the best community. I mean... I've been in a lot of groups, but I mentioned Mary Jo Firth Gillette. When I joined her workshop, Matthew Olsman was in there, Bybee Francis was in there, Christine Ryan. Um, I could go down the list. We didn't know each other, but through poetry and workshops, you really get to know people. You get to know them on a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Um, and having, uh, right now, I had a series called. Um, Monday's at the Maple. It's at the Maple Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, it closed, of course, during the pandemic, but I just heard from the manager of the theater yesterday, and we will return once it's safe. Excellent. The theater isn't even open yet. But um, through readings, M.L. Liebler really has brought so much to all of this. I really um, appreciate him so much. He uh, brings a community together. He supports writers, new writers, old writers. He He's never judgmental about that. And he gives people opportunities that I think he's really an umbrella for all of this. Yeah. And uh, then there's little offshoots. Yeah. When the heart needs a stunt double. Uh, we've, I mean, th- there's some great blurbs on the back, but having come out of your surgery, did you want to add any comments about what that that phrase means to you coming right out of that surgery and then finishing this book that was a sounds like a great title well i have a poem in there called when the heart needs stunt double and um it was about when the day i found out my dad left and i wasn't prepared i just was not prepared and i thought about wouldn't it be great if your heart didn't just have to be crushed at that moment and it's a sort of thing that lasts forever so there was that the other thing is I have, and it, I have to say, an addiction to sweets. I've had it all my life. I can't, I can't stop it. I've tried everything, hypnosis. I've gone a year without the sweets. I've, I've done that. Um, but, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing because I'm Lebanese, and I noticed when I went to Dearborn, there's like 50 bakeries on one street, all these shops, and um, it's a, it's an important part of the culture. Right. Um, I had a poem in my other book called uh, um, Baklogaba Killed My Father because it really did. He had the same issue. He just, he actually became diabetic. So there's that for the heart. So I have a lot of poems about sweets in there. Sure. And one poem um, was, it's I think it's called, gosh, I can't remember the name of my own poem, (laughs) but it's about the Venetian ball of sweets, guilt and pleasure. Mm -hmm. That poem was a three-part poem, and I ended up, I'm turning it into a musical. It's a play about a chemist who's a sugar addict. <laughs> and so I think and, uh, Tracy Cash is, is composing the music 
uh, for for my lyrics. I think that is a, a that's not a good thing for your heart. And then breaking your heart is not a good thing for your heart. So there's different things that went into it. But that's how that's how I came yeah. up with it. Yeah, you know? it's all about it is there is that to it. But then when you read your words and you read the emotions that are tied into this, it's also about the heart being able to withstand something, the heart toughening itself, the exactly. heart, the heart yeah. having to be its own stunt double. And then um, we'll we'll share the cover art too, but it's by, I think, Rafael Oblinsky. Oblinsky, and, yes. Yeah. I used to exhibit his work in my gallery and he did, he does a lot of, he's really primarily an illustrator mm-hmm. and a surrealist. Um, when I was doing Strings Attached, the cover of that book had a woman looking out the window and there were strings attached to a puppet and he was so kind to just let me use that so this time I looked for him again and uh, he was gone he used to live in Manhattan couldn't track him down he moved to Poland but I found his daughter who still lived in Manhattan and she wrote to him and he allowed me to use this for the cover as well which is an image of a of a uh if I'm getting this pronunciation right kind of a a pyrrhal clown Sort of yeah, a, a pierro type crown, yes. Right, which yeah, and and it was just a coincidence. The heart has an acrobat right inside, which is sort of a stunt type of thing. So I was drawn to that, and uh, when I showed it to the folks at Wayne State, they just loved it right off the bat. So, oh yeah, yeah. It, this yeah. clown and that type of clown is is a clown that is usually. Uh, um, tied in with uh showing sadder or more melodramatic emotions and you think of that dichotomy of it's a clown it should be happy and funny but yet it is sad and uh there's something there's something honest to me in that contradiction there's something very honest and i think it matches your poetry well thank you yeah yeah so uh so i guess as i wrap up uh are are you feeling like you're starting to to look forward into the summer and the fall um are there any conversations out there between writings communities about having live live readings yet i mean it's not safe yet but uh are you what's on your mind as you look ahead yeah i'm looking forward to um bringing back mondays at the maple and i wanted to mention something that happened recently before we finish Mm -hmm. i found out that four of my poems are going to be going to the moon and yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> they told me that. I thought, what? I, I just couldn't believe it. But there's this um, there's this Writers on the Moon project. So they have 125 slots. And I was in a book. I'm going to hold this book up. It's called, well, you can't really see it. I can but, see it. Oh, can you see it? It's called Persian Sugar and English Tea. So I had four poems in there. And my poem is on the back of the book, one of them. And it happens to mention the moon, but that was just a coincidence. So they're taking these up in a time capsule. It's a, it is a lunar time capsule, and it'll be on the moon forever. It's um, it's just the craziest thing that's ever happened. Um, and I have a real affinity for that type of thing. My my husband wanted to go to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, and I didn't really want to go. I, w- I wanted to go other places so he dragged me there we went through the control room we get finally you get to this room where these gigantic doors open up and there's the saturn V rocket ship i honestly fell to my knees i I was so stunned by the size of it and i looked at my husband i said this is the opposite of the word no 
And I have all this stuff from there. I, I, I've told, I've told people I'd love to get a Saturn V tattoo, but so there's that, but yes. So the poetry is going to go out in this world and it's going out of this world. So that is what's happening. Oh my gosh. We, I mean, we either could have led with that or we could have closed with that. That is a great talk about permanence. Talk about a permanent legacy there. That is incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Well, Wayne State University Press made a Michigan writer series, When the Heart Needs a Stunt Double. And Diane DeSalis, it's been so good to talk to you about this. I really enjoyed this book, too. Thank you so much. It's yeah. been great to talk to you, too. And that was Diane DeSilis talking to us about her new book, When the Heart Needs a Stunt Double. She's also the author of Strings Attached, uh, which came out in 2014. And her poems, stories, and essays have appeared in numerous journals. And now four of them are going to the moon. Goodness, we should have led with that. Uh, A few other writers can get news like that. That is certainly permanence to the extreme. This has been A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. I have been Jeff Milo. The music you're hearing is by local musician Chad Stocker. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it to social media. And if you've been listening to us already, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, or leave a leave a review. That would help others find our podcast. You know any other library lovers, uh, book lovers, poetry lovers, make sure to tell them about this podcast a little too quiet. And thank you for listening.